As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, how are we doing? Today is another great day. Jordan has a beautiful Paisley shirt on. How many colours are involved in this? See, this is this was given to me by a friend who's a female. Um, she said to me, this, this doesn't suit me, maybe it'll suit you. And I was like, I'm not going to turn up free clothes, am I? So... Well, she's not wrong. But uh, moving on, uh, are you excited about today? Well, today's a... Uh, this is when we've got, I think we're, we're getting to a big boys. We're getting to the big, we're getting to the big league. We've got Mr. Richard Corrigan, for God's sake. Oh, the big C. The big C, the big C. It's a beautiful spring day in Mayfair. Every time we come down here, we just feel rich, don't we, pal? I think that's the coffee. You've had about three in you. Well, £3.50 for a coffee, Christ almighty. Right, let's get off. Let's, uh, let's tuck ourselves in. Let's get on in there. Guys, can we have utter silence? Kitchen door closed, yeah, and the Lindsay room door, please, yeah, and I'd only hear one drop of a, a pen, yeah? <laughs> Thank you. Could you get all the doors closed straight away now? So, um, yeah, how, how's things been going then? Very good. Very, yeah. very good. Well, I was just telling Jordan I was, I was lucky enough to come for your St. Patrick's Day celebrations. That's a, that's a party. Yeah. <laughs> when did, so when did you decide, like... To, to start doing this as a regular thing because most people are quite busy aren't they doing your stuff yeah <laughs> so like, you know it's very hard to get people in the hospitality business together in fairness uh, do you know what over the years I've always been involved in St. Patrick's thing you know what I mean I was on the Ken Livingston's committee for the first St. Patrick's uh, parade in London and I have lots of stories about that you know what I mean really Trafalgar Square being part of kind of Westminster at the time and the mayor's office not having access to it and so I was involved in all of that kind of groundwork stuff I'm a trustee of a charity here in London with the Irish Youth Foundation uh, you know which historically you know New Horizons and King's Cross and a woman's uh, shelter in South London and they were always kind of very Irish orientated now they're kind of you know Asian orientated and and ex-military orientated. So it's quite interesting. You know, I've been in London 30 years floating around. Mm. And uh, 
I'm the right guy to throw a party. I think everyone will agree with that. <laughs> That's what I've heard. I have, a, I have a, a very strong constitution and nothing to be proud of because I'm now 56. I can look back and say, God, I survived that. I mean, I, I really caned it, guys. You know? <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. We've got an hour to talk about you caning it. It's like, that could be it. <laughs> Corrigan's cane. Music, music, you know, from the early years of the Mean Fiddler and Divine up in Harlesden. You know what I mean, really? I mean, here you look at me in Mayfair, the height of respectability. I mean, you should have seen me coming out of the Mean Fiddler probably 30 years ago. You know what I mean? At four in the morning after Divine playing a very alternative concert. You know, so, you know... <clears throat> You know, I lived in Amsterdam. I've lived in Rotterdam. I've, I've lived in London. I always liked the kind of the alternative kind of scene floating around that city. You know what I mean? And I always immersed myself in every city I've lived in. Mm-hmm. I was involved in St. Patrick's Day kind of in Amsterdam and Rotterdam nice. and London. So, you know what I mean? And, you know, you know, it, it must be strange for an English guy looking in and saying, how do the Irish do it? They, they manage, they manage to throw a party every year that is just fun with a bit, a little bit of excess drinking, which is not necessarily PC anymore. So we have to be careful, but you know, we do throw a good party and you know, you don't need to, you know, put out too many invites. You know, you just need the right people to come to the party. Mm. Little bit of old school, you know, like Pierre Kaufman and Brian Turner down the end. You have a little bit of, you know, Mr. Gill from the dairy and Clapham on the other end. Oh, you set, know what I mean? So it's, now. it's, no, but that's, you have it's to like set the scene. Painting. Yeah, 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 painting yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to, a full of young bull, young cooks with tattoos going, I'm better than you, mate. You know, you know, a bit of too much shortage, a little bit of that. And you make sure the booze is good. Grand Cru champagne, great Guinness. Don't mess them up too much by mixing one with the other and really good cocktails. And what you went and lots of food to keep everyone kind of, you know, soberish for now. Soberish for now. So, you know, I started that here around probably around must be five, six years ago. It was always small. It was a small group of us. And it just, honestly, this has been the thing that's just got a little bit bigger. Reputation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of the party everyone wants to come to. And and, and believe it or not, it's not really that well organized. You know what I mean? We only do it four weeks before the St. Patrick's Day. It's not something we start planning the year before. But I always insist the right people come to it. You know what I mean? Like, it was great having Brian Turner. It was great having the chef from Bubble Dogs here this year. You know what I mean? Really, uh, you know, I want a right splattering of English boys, a right splattering of Irish boys, and a few Welsh boys in the middle. You know what I mean? Really? And, a and then the rugby's on as well. Yeah, and, the, and Cheltenham is on as well. So, you know what I mean? You don't need... It's a nice vibe. It's a really nice vibey week. Amazing. I remember the first time, I, first year I came to it, I didn't know what to expect. And I actually thought I was kind of meeting some of your team that have a bit of a chat and a sit down. And I walked in. Completely wrong thing. All, all these people there and my colleague hadn't arrived yet. And she rang me and I was like, I think I'm in the wrong place. There's a wedding on. <laughs> There's a wedding on. Everyone's having a good time. Everyone's having a good time. I mean, the, 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 whole, the whole thing about it is... Basically, there's no speeches being made. There's no people saying, welcome to my party in Mayfair. You know what I mean? The sing songs. No one, nobody. Jamie is my guitarist, which is a great story about Jamie. I was coming out after a, a very late night in Seoul, and there Jamie was strumming on Shaftesbury Avenue, a few Smith songs. And I stood there and I thought, you are the best 
ever uh, playing the Smiths. So this is around seven, eight years ago. So Jamie, who's from up north, you know what I mean, is now my kind of trumpeteur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is really, and he really gets the gig. So we have an Englishman singing. Uh, And by the way, our our playlist is quite good. You know what I mean? But it's quite Smiths heavy. You know what I mean? And we like a little bit of Clash. We like a little bit of, you know what I mean? So my St. Patrick's playlist is like, you know, alternative Britain, basically, with a little bit of Irish heritage here and there. And a little bit of more cool Lancome and, you know, a little bit more edgy, edgy kind of folky stuff from Scotland and Northeast England and Kent as well. I mean, there's great music going on around Britain and Ireland right now, guys. Really great. We can't take ownership of it, but there's great folk scene in Britain right now. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous. So I went, to, I went to Madrid a few years ago on St. Patrick's Day and it was the, it was so crazy there. And I was yeah. like, why, why is this, why is this one of the only kind of traditions that translates to every country? Well, that whole thing of fiesta party, you know what I mean, really? I mean, it's the Latin in the Irishness, really. There's no question about it, you know what I mean, really? Uh, you know, the, everyone is very controlled. You know, the Dutch haven't lived there for so long, you know what I mean? Everything is very, very straightforward, very organised. And you know what I want? The, you know, you'd, you'd die of boredom if you, were, if you weren't careful. So you have to go out, you know what I mean? You know, the Paradiso and uh, lots of other late night uh, places was invented for those who was getting a little bit going to bed at 10.30. Exactly. My lifestyle. I can't imagine that in Amsterdam. I, I'm, I think you get this picture of Amsterdam being just constantly crazy. But yeah, then... it's full of, it's full of uh, Br- Brits and Germans and Irish uh, being constantly crazy and from everywhere else in Europe. But the Dutch are quite, uh, quite sober and quite organised, and you don't necessarily see it's all Dutch in the late in the late drinking places in Amsterdam. And you, so you started you you started in Holland, as in you moved there to be a chef. Didn't yeah, you? I, I, I lived and worked there. Yeah, for for many years. Uh, so, you know, my first experience was late eighty two when I, you know, you know, I was kind of dead Kennedys, and the Smiths was just starting up. You know what I mean? So there was a very it was the last of the Vondel Park where all the hippies were hanging out from the seventies. And you know what I mean? There was that last of the people holding on to the hippie seventies, you know, and I kind of, there was just that last burst, the crackers, which was the kind of people who were squatting in all the buildings. It was riots every night. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, I left Ireland. I thought that was a little bit, uh, that's crazy. Center. Yeah. Yeah. And I arrived in Amsterdam to street riots with the, the, the squatters, you know what I mean? Which was big in Berlin and Amsterdam at the time being moved out of all these kind of derelict housing. And literally there was riots every night outside the place I was living on. I went, God, one war zone into another. That's, that's crazy. And then, so what was the food scene like in 82 in Holland? Oh, it was yeah, quite interesting. You know, I worked in some uh, very interesting restaurants, you know, small, smaller places, you know what I mean? Cat kind of tons. Uh, a guy called Vogel, you know what I mean? A really serious, serious operator. Uh, you know, very cool, very good. The restaurant scene was, you know, you, you always have to, it was like London. You had to find the places you wanted to work in. In Rotterdam, you know, La Valette, I worked in kind of French inspired kind of, Michelin-y kind of thing, uh, you know, but I always like the Dutch classics as well, you know what I mean? I always immerse myself in the countries. I get to know the country geographically and its history and, you know, I'm quite, I'm quite nosy like that. So, you know, t- the Dutch have things called Ertensoup and Stampot and Divey and Burtenkohl and it's all kind of fire, farmer's food that people in middle kind of North England, the North of England, Lincolnshire will understand. You know what I mean? It's it's kale with mash. It's a smoked sausage on top of a potato. You know, and by the way, it's 
great drinking food. Yeah, and it's it, it I, really is great drinking food. What's the know? one you just said then with the cabbage and the mash? Yeah, yeah, Stampos. And that's then they put bacon David, in it, right? David. No, that's on. That's uh, basically uh, a veal sausage on dive mash with a bit of veal gravy. Uh, Burun coal is farmer's cabbage, basically. You know what I mean? It'd be like, uh, Irish equivalent would be Culcan and kale and mashed potato. Fantastic. And kale just but kind of quickly blanched and chopped up, tossing a bit of butter and then chopped up well, yeah. but a little bite still in it and then added into a nice buttery mashed potato. Honestly, it was food that would you would rise from the grave from. Beautiful. And it can keep you going. Like it you're can saying. keep you going, which is very important in your 20s and 30s. Yeah? <laughs> in Amsterdam, maybe, yeah, as well, <laughs> when you're still trying to get rid of the hippies. Um, well, you know, you're in Rotterdam as well. You know, you're down You're down on the kind of the harbour the harbor side, you know what I mean, the Binnewicks, and it's the last of the mad sailors, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's almost, you know, Jack Braille singing Amsterdam, and you know what I mean, eating fish heads, and you know what I mean, whores on the street, you know what I mean? It really was like that. I mean, everything is so sanitised now, you know what I mean? Everyone wants to, you know, people talk about the days of Soho, you know, honestly, we wouldn't even hang out in the days of Soho of, you know, I know the colony, you know what I mean? That kind of gutter foot and the gutter stuff, you know what I mean? I mean, even the hipsters wouldn't hang around it. It's so smelly today, you know what I mean? So I love people talking about being cool and shortage and, and so, yeah, get lost. You, you wouldn't even hang out with us for half a day, you lot, you know what I mean? You'd be gone after an hour and a half for a colonic irrigation, more than likely, you know? <laughs> Um, I think at this point we should go yeah. right, 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 right back, right back. We're a bit of Amsterdam. Yeah, you have the end. You have yeah. the end result. Yeah, because I know this is going to be good fun. So yeah. let's go. Let's go right, right. And I back. trust you to edit this very carefully. We don't edit anything, man. Where's is the way? You know what I mean? This is this is the yeah. Soho of podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, let's go right, right, right back to um, your first food memories back in back home and when you were like a kid. Yeah, I mean, you know. Chefs talk about their backgrounds uh, a lot and they talk about their mothers a lot. You know, my mother was uh, uh, a decent cook. She wasn't a magical cook, you know what I mean, really. She she cooked for seven children in the house. We had a full, uh, small farmstead. Uh, my father was a very keen fisherman and, and hunter and we hunted for the table. So, you know, memories, people talk about memories, but I ate like a king. Eels, fried eels, brown bread, salads, kind of duck eggs, hen's eggs, lightly boiled, chopped, bit of melted butter on it, brown bread, piece of wild salmon for breakfast. I mean, I'd, I'd, we'd probably wild salmon for breakfast more than we had bacon and sausage. That's crazy. Do you understand? Oh, my God. I mean, I'm, we're talking kind of Lincolnshire, Fens kind of foraging stuff, you know what I mean, really? Uh, young rabbit sauteed on a pan, which has to be my all-time favourite dish, really, still to this day. Uh, so, you know, if there's a, a thing called, you know, tapini, Irish tapas, you know what I mean? That, that was our table. It was all put in the middle and we all helped ourselves to a cold bit of bacon, which we had killed the pig or which heavily salted would have lasted for at least four or five months, which we killed twice a year. So there was always something to eat. The end result of some of the cooking of it, I have to say, you know what I mean, doesn't bring great memories, you know what I mean? I don't remember eating a, a kind of rare roast beef for, for Sunday lunch. It would probably be a brisket or something, you know what I mean, cooked Chinese style till it was almost crisp by my mother. Uh, but saying that, if we had a steak, and when we did have a steak in the house probably once a month, my father always cooked it on a cast iron pan and it would be served blue. 
So, you know what I mean? There wasn't too many Irish households where you'd have a blue steak sitting on a plate. And, and to the horror of everyone in our family, no one can eat a well done steak in our house. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, we'd have a blue, just, just rub it on the pan and put it on the plate. And it's that kind of, you know, that comes out of respect for eating well. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you know. So you didn't struggle with food growing up in terms of like no. being a kid and new tastes and, you know. No, I'm, buttermilk. Once, once you're kind of making butter and you're, you're, you, when you churn and you make your butter, there's always the residue of the buttermilk left over. So there was, you always kept that cool. And that was a, that was a, something that you make the bread from as well, where man made the bread every day. And we used it, it was, you drank it during the summer, very chilled. You know, and the dairy was always in a very cold part of the outside area. So everything was very chilled in there anyway. Even on a hot summer's day, it was, things were cold in there. And that's where the cooked meat would have been kept as well. And cheeses and, uh, well, cheeses, whatever, whatever butter we had. There wouldn't be too many farmhouse cheeses hanging around Ireland in those days. Uh, but, you know, there was always butter, warm bread, something cold in the larder and lots of buttermilk. And buttermilk is a great quencher during the... the during the hot summer times, you think of those yogurt drinks you have now. Mm. So I would imagine my gut kind of, you know what I mean, metabolism would have been very healthy in those years. You know what I mean? And stood me me well for all those years of of dark living, you know? (laughs) So when you've got this rich, like kind of like palate and plate and, you know, having this as a norm from when you're growing up, when did it go, oh God, other people don't eat like this? Uh, I think... When you go into other people's homes and you see kind of, you know, uh, processed foods. And I think I, I was kind of, I was nosy about processed foods when I was in my teens, you know what I mean? Just out of interest because some we were never brought it's up. It's a novelty, on. isn't it? It's a kind of a novelty. And you look at it and you go, God, that, that's interesting. And then you realize it's, it's mush and pappy and... You, you know, and everything that there's nothing in it. It's just filler. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's foam. You Bacon know I mean? and water. It, absolutely. Rashers that kind of, you know, put in a pan and it's just the residue just, and they shrink right in front of your eyes. Uh, I mean, we all have memories in, in our kind of, uh, twenties and, you know, not too much money in our pocket, you know, trying to pay for our tube tickets A to B. And <clears throat> I do remember when I was so broke after paying my rent in London. A couple of chefs, we clubbed together and bought a pack of rashers, you know what I mean? And a sliced pan or something and a bit of salad. And that was, that was our lunch. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and that was our lunch till we went back to work on a Monday morning. So, you know, yeah, starting at that level, you know what I mean? Of, of just not even uh, being able to afford traveling to work after paying your, your rent for your absolute dump on Camden Road. You know what I mean? Really? It was like, I, I always felt having lived on the continent of Europe. And having first came to Camden Road, I really felt it was so Dickensian. Mm. There was something so 18th century about the rubbish in Camden. Uh, you could wade through it with waders, you know what I mean, on a Sunday morning oh, from the whole thing, you know. Um, people jumping into the back of vans for a day's pay on the building sites. And, you know, the pogues, you know, just think about, you know, you know, McGowan's lyrical kind of uh, London Irish kind of rants, you know. Uh, he was honest, you know, he had his pulse on that kind of, you know, the underbelly of London, which wasn't wasn't so sanitized and wasn't so pretty. And, you know, everyone was just kind of knocking a living. And it was from day to day, week to week. And that was London. There was nothing amazing about it. You know, you, you went from one job to another. You know, there was no big career path, you know, by 
by two years you'll be there, you know. Just doing it to make well, ends I'm a, meet. I'm a, I'm a prime example. If you hang around long enough, you'll get to the top. <laughs> get the job. You live long enough, really. That's mad. So where, where do you think your interest in food first stemmed from? I think always on the farm, I, I, you know, uh, looking after animals. I've been doing all my life, you know, milking. I've been doing most of my young life. So you got I, your hands I, dirty yeah, from yeah, early Yeah, very age. much so. I was on a machine. I was on a tractor at 11 or 12. I mean, health and safety would... And it doesn't matter, does it, when you're a I'm, And I'm talking about 80, 100 horsepower tractors. We're not talking about something run around little lawnmower. You know what I mean? You're on, you're out bobbing straw, turning straw after the harvesting to dry it, you know, uh, probably 200 acres of it, you know. You're out there for the whole day on your own, you know what I mean? You're 12. That's crazy. <laughs> running, running up and down. You can just imagine health and safety, just the closer you farm down today if they caught that going on, you know what I mean? And learning to drive kind of big machines, Sanderson forklifts, you know what I mean? cutting silage, bringing in silage from their fields. You know what I mean? You were on tractors, you know, big Massey Ferguson's, you know, booting down the roads. You know what I mean? Really. So much fun. I remember I had a Yeah, friend. yeah. It I, was wild. You know what it gives you? It gives you lots of confidence. If anything, it, you know what I mean? I don't pretend it, it, it gives you great confidence. Uh, I don't know that, but I'll try it. Yeah. You know, it gives, it's great for young boys in particular to be working and kept busy at that age and given responsibility to go out and do things said can't do that you can't do that you have a license to do that no no you can't drink till you're 18 oh give me a break you know what I mean really so I, I think you you end up at 15 being quite prepared for life and you've grafted and, before and you've, you've even started. And, you're, and you've done the 15 hours a day, you know what I mean, at a very early age, and you keep doing that for most of your life. I, as I said before, stick around, you always get to the top. And then you've got your dad there who's hunting and fishing. Oh, so yeah. You, you saw, you know, what happens to an animal. Yeah, there's certain parts of the countryside. I, I, I won't, I won't, I won't uh, say that it's all beautiful and clean and sanitized. I mean, hunting foxes on a, on a, on a, and, and, and rabbiting with ferrets and all that. I'm not so keen on that anymore, I have to say. I'm not so keen. I'm not so keen on driven shoots anymore and things like that. I don't mind a bit of hedgerow kind of shooting, shooting for the table, which my dad done. But anything organized, I'm very much against. Very much against. Yeah. Anything that people just turn into killing for no reason. A sport, I'm, almost. Uh, sport. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I've gone the other way completely. I've just, I mean, really, I've, I've, been, I've been out in the countryside, people shooting ducks. I put, I put down a gun, I go home. In disgust, I'll be honest. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested of killing for sport. I, I love shooting something for the table. I'll tell you, don't get me in the way of a mallard, you know what I mean, really? I mean, you know, a rabbit or a hare, you know what I mean? And I don't necessarily want hare anymore. I don't put hare in my menu because hares pair up. Right. Wild ducks pair up. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? You know. And did you, did you go so on anything that, anything like that? And there's, there's a reason why, you know what I mean? You shouldn't do certain things. And if you understand the countryside, you know what to take and you know what to give back and you know when to leave things alone. You don't want to be killing kind of woodcock when the resident population is very low, mm. you know, or snipe. The numbers are not right. You know what I mean? Just leave them alone for a few years. Let the, let the numbers come back in and they do and they do. You know what I mean? And you have to look after the countryside. Mm. Do you think your customers understand that as much as well now? I've always kind of expressed it on the menu one way or the other, you know what I mean, to be kind of the, the seasonal kind of natural approach. I mean, you know, you know, I have a farm which were above organic. I mean, I hate the word organic, I have to tell you, because but it's a it's a term that people understand and it recognizes that this is something. Adrian Gill, which is a great food writer in London who died a few years ago. I loved Adrian, I have to tell you. I loved his he had a kind of great cynicism about it all. And his brother, Nick, 
disappeared as a chef. You know what I mean? I was never found. And Adrian, I remember when I opened Bentley's, you know, I was so proud. I said, Adrian, the butter's organic. It's amazing. You have to taste this. And he turned around and he picked up the jug of milk and he said, hey, Richard, is the milk organic? <laughs> and I hung my head in shame and, and went back into the kitchen and I went, oh, God, you absolute dick. <laughs> absolute dick. Yeah. Stay in the kitchen, never come out again. Amazing. So, you know, it's always good to ask the right questions, that's for sure. So, yeah, so you got your interest from, from your upbringing, basically. But what, what was the kind of switch on moment when you thought, right, actually, why I want to be a chef? Well, I think in, in the rural community, historically, you know, the eldest boy got the farm or got any interest in the farm or neighbouring farms or whatever, whatever the family and relations would always do. So my brother, John, basically got the farm, more than, you know, even though he wasn't necessarily a farmer at the time. I will openly say I always thought he was a very bad farmer for most of my working life. And that was probably just a little resentment of him getting a farm. But he has gone natural farming now, uh, which is it's taken him a long time, I have to say. Probably 30 years to realise the natural method was much better than the way he, the roots he went down. <laughs> but I have to say he's, he's now part of the, the proper, proper farming structure in the rural countryside and very much you natural. So I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy that he's making that great U-turn in his life. So as, as, as I said, the older brother kind of gets the farm and you go off and you do something and, uh, you know, you know, and let's be honest with you, you know, people say, you know, I, I, I was training to be a chemist and I ended up a chef and God almighty, I mean, are you, are you off your head? Wouldn't you beat the guy with your shoe and kick him in the ass to get back to university and become a chemist? Because, you know, let's be honest with you, in a, in a sweaty hot kitchen and there's orders coming at you like a, like a, like an avalanche coming down the mountain, ain't a pretty place to be at 56. It's, it, it's, it's pretty stressful. And all those chefs, you know what I mean? Looking very clean and very nice and say, Oh, I, I work all those hours every day. Give me a break. I mean, uh, uh, you know, they're greatest favors in the world. We, we need our youth. We need the young twenties and thirties and, you know, lots of enthusiasm, lots of ideas. And you end up then being the Herbert run stracking of the kitchen world, conducting it all. You know what I mean? From a safe distance. You know what I mean? Uh, you know what I mean? But yeah. Yeah. You know, a little safe distance. And you know, what you do is you have to taste everything, see everything and you become a conductor. But the, the whole idea of, you know, chefs telling me they get in at half six now and they leave at 12 o'clock. Listen. They wouldn't last with me two hours in the Groucho Club. Never mind work 16 hours in their own kitchens, most of them. I want to hear about when you were that young, yeah. that young buck. When you, when you came from, like, you know, from farming background, when you walked in there at 16. Yeah. Were the people, because they haven't grafted on, on tractors no. before. They haven't been having salmon no. for breakfast. You know what I mean? No. What was it like when you walked in? What was that first? What was the first position you walked into? I'm, I'm, uh, this is, this is the odd thing. Uh, most people end up doing something for half their life and then realize in one morning when they, they wake up and they're in an absolute bind panic that half their life or most of their life has passed by and they hate what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say to you at 56 years of age, I love what I do. I've always loved what I do. I've loved what I've, uh, what I do from the age of 15. And I'm 56 now and I still love what I do. I think I meet the most interesting of, of, of people. I come across, I learn something new every day. I read an article by Diane Henry or Roly Lee or Simon Hopkinson and I pick up a little tip here and something. You're forever picking up little tips of knowledge. You know what I mean? You read a review, good or bad from Jan Noir, you know what I mean, really? And, you know, and you go, 
wow, that's interesting. God, did I deserve that? And then you realize you don't get too many bad or good ones, but they're always fair and they're always nice. And by the way, restaurant criticism, you know what I mean? You're, you're not discovering new stars. You're not discovering a new vaccine against some incredibly terrible virus. You know what I mean? You, you, you know, you're sitting above a great heap of people, which Brendan Behan once called really, you know, basically you're, 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 you're like, you're, you know, a, 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 a eunuch looking in at a sex party, really, I have to tell you. And that's what most food criticism is about. They're, they're always looking in. They're unable to join in. <laughs> and they, they dearly wish they could. <laughs> I think you true. Yeah. Get in there. Go on. Oh, that's great. Oh, my word. That is great. So, yeah. Your job in the <laughs> your first job in a proper kitchen. My first job in a proper kitchen was a local hotel called Kerwin Arms in Atboy, which was owned by by uh, Sean and Rita Kerwin, wonderful people, Dublin family. And uh, they had this very busy country hotel. It could be anywhere, like in rural England, you know, you had your weddings, your family get-togethers, and all the race meetings, of course, you know, would, would, would be a place where people would come and have kind of dinner, lunch and dinner. So, you know, you learn how to cook a collar of bacon, you know, you learn what a lamb chop was, nice rosé. Uh, good, what good meat was, well hung, properly, proper, nice bit of game. Uh, we used to get in whole veal carcasses and the, the chef Ray would butcher them all up. And so he was on the ships, worked for the kind of the, the cruise liner. So the knowledge that he had in bacon, pastry and just general cookery was absolutely fantastic. So, you know, but it wasn't hot cuisine. It was good country, good country, busy, busy family orientated place. And... You know, it was it was a great learning curve. Stayed there for two years. Then I, I moved up uh, on the Fermanagh border uh, to a hotel and uh, Kyle Moore. And basically we worked there uh, for uh, probably an, a year and a half. And that probably 17 and a half. I left there and I went to live in Amsterdam. Through, through a contact of the family, believe it or not, there was a Dutch guy working in a hotel that was going back to Amsterdam and I think they were looking for some chefs in Amsterdam at the time and someone said something to me and of course I was in like in like Flynn, you know what I mean, on a plane and out, out I went, you know. I mean, most 17-year-olds wouldn't even be able to pack their own suitcase today, you know what I mean? They, yeah, my mummy would be buying them, you know what I mean, rations for the first six months in case they died of starvation, you know what I mean? So yeah, you're, you're on your own, <clears throat> you're, you're living it. And then Amsterdam was a great eye-opener. I met a great English guy in Amsterdam called Mark Needham. And Mark was, he went to school in rugby, you know what I mean? He was a very well-educated guy. And I, I really, I kind of, you know, he was kind of one of those kind of post-hippie dudes hanging around Amsterdam. And he introduced me to, first of all, he got me a library card. He brought me down to the Amsterdam Bibliothèque. And he introduced me then to Kurt von der Gert and Steinbeck and, you know, made me read the Guardian Observer every bloody day and every <laughs> Sunday. And so I became a lefty British, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? My Post politics punk. is, yeah, 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 absolutely. My politics hasn't changed from the day. Even, you know, I'd make a perfect Tory material, but I just can't be one. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm perfect. You know what I mean? Really, I have it all. You know what I mean? But can never be one. Impossible. Good. It's God. impossible. It's impossible. It's amazing how, like, you can meet someone 
and they can affect you for so long. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like a mentor Mark, or Mark, a friend. Mark, or... is, it's great. And especially for young people in general, you know, to meet mentors. And I've been very lucky. I've met some great mentors in my life. You know what I mean? I've always kind of came across great, you know, you have to, you have, you, everyone needs their gurus, you know, their teachers, their people that inspires. And uh, Mark, Mark Needham was one of those individuals. And I want to give him a shout out today because, you know, you know we don't normally give people shouts outs that have uh, influenced our background. And uh, Mark, when I arrived in Amsterdam, you know, that could have all went horribly wrong. You know what I mean? You know, you would never know what den you'd have ended up in. You know what I mean? So meeting Mark was, was, was an amazing. And he introduced me, of course, to the Smiths and the Kennedys and lots of alternative kind of stuff, uh, which I love, absolutely love. You know what I mean? So, you know, that kind of sets your course in your head and your thinking. And it sets your kind of thinking about food as well. You know, you're, kind of the honesty in everything, you know what I mean? There has to be an integrity in music. There has to be integrity in food. You just can't be flipping around making dots on a place. So when did you kind of get the confidence in your own ability? Well, you know what I mean? Probably at the very beginning, you've no confidence in your own ability. You know what I mean? I wasn't necessarily born with it, you know. But, you know, as the old saying goes, you know, if anyone can do it, you can do it. You know what I mean? So... You know, the world is full of blaggers, you know what I mean, really, and and, 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 and and everything else. And I don't think I'm any different, you know what I mean? I just don't, you know, if I don't know something, I put up my hand and say, I don't know how to do that. Can someone just tell me exactly what's what you want? So you learn and you, you, you absorb. And, you know, people talk about kind of foodie geniuses, you know what I mean? There might have been a few great food writers, but I think food in general is picked up. And, you know what I mean, there's... You know, everything is kind of over, over, over elaborated and overhyped as well. And overhyped, and you know what I mean? Daddy, daddy, da. At the end of the day, it's nourishment, and you might as well eat well and drink well than just eat badly and drink badly. And eating badly doesn't mean going to the biggest and priciest restaurants, it just means, you know, getting off your ass, finding the product, and cooking it yourself as well. So, you know, a perfect piece of bacon, you know, I mean, my perfect piece of bacon is a really wonderful color of bacon. And I haven't found anyone in the UK. I don't know what it is that does an incredible, beautiful color of salted bacon. And it's something you can, I can find, you know, with lots of little abattoirs and little butchers in Ireland. And I just, I, I find it really hard to find here. Or people call it kind of, you know, so I love that kind of a freshly cooked piece of gammon rest it with some kale and even a little bit of green chili in the kale. It doesn't really matter. You can move around these days, you know what I mean? Serve with a kind of lentils and that could have a little bit of Indian spice in it. You know, it doesn't really matter anymore. But once Coleman's mustard is nearby, to put on that piece of warm gammon, I would say that is perfection to me. A little piece of rabbit, young, on the bone, sautéed on the pan or just fried on the pan with a bit of butter carefully, a little bit of wild garlic thrown into it if, if you have it. If you don't, who cares? But let it rest it again and just pick it up and just eat, eat with your hands. I, that's, they're the memories of my, my childhood. They're the memories of being a young boy from the farm. They're, they're the things that uh, rabbit meat, you know what I mean, kind of, you know, hen, hen's eggs, duck, duck eggs, you know what I mean, broken up and kind of just made into a kind of a, a rumbled kind of scrambled egg, you know, served with a salad and, and some brown bread. Those are the things that say, yeah, yummy, yummy, yum to me. Mm-hmm. And still I feel yummy, yummy, yum about them. They are, they are the flavors that has never left my head and never will leave my head. And probably your last supper stuff would be, you know what I mean, a beautiful scrambled duck egg with lots of country butter in it. 
And that's, you know, and maybe a glass of Pinot Noir these days, but, you know, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting what people, you know, I think people are so short of, uh, uh, so short focused these days. It's new, 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 new. Mm. Uh, instead of just, just stopping and sitting on an oyster bar and taking a native number two with nothing on it, really. The amateurs put lemon juice on it. The utter absolute idiots. I've seen some of the greatest food writers put lemon and, and vinegar on a native oyster. I really want to give them a slap in the ear. And, 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 and then, the, you know what I mean? So most people don't know how to eat. They might know how to write about food, but most people don't know how to eat. Mm. I think people get afraid of asking yeah, questions you know what I mean. as a customer. Yeah, ask, ask. Like if you go to a really expensive place yeah. or like a really beautiful place you're looking forward to, yeah. you don't want to show you. I don't want to show myself up as a like you know yeah, commoner. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be told. By the way, that oyster have it on its own. On its own. Like, eat it's, it like it's just the, the flavour. On co- yeah. On the coast, people eat it. You know, the oyster man would eat just an oyster just out of the shell. You know. The, the whole thing of lemon juice, you know what I mean? Just a medieval kind of introduction to smelly fish, basically. You know what I mean? If you want to know your history of it. But, and, and of course it, it does go. A nice bit of lemon juice and a nice piece of white fish can be, can be a bit of olive oil, can be the most delicious thing in the world to enjoy with a little sun going down and a little bit of green on the plate. Wonderful. But you don't squeeze it on everything. You don't put lemon juice on a mackerel. You only put a dash of vinegar on a mackerel because lemon juice makes your, your gut kind of uh, just bring it all back up and it just reflux. So you never put lemon juice in a mackerel. Of course, most chefs know that, but you'd be surprised how many don't. You've been educated well. Do you think it's educated through back in the farm and then the people you met along the way? Like the chefs that you're saying, like, you know, proper, ran the business properly all the time, you know? Yeah, you know, you have to remember, farming is a business. Restaurants are a business. You know what I mean? There's lots of people in there, and, you know, that we're still surviving as London has gone through a bit of a flux at the moment. And I'm going to say, that's my superstition. Touch wood. Don't ever think you're, you're above anybody else. I think we work quite hard at staying around. I like to pay my bills. My wine merchants, my food, my staff, my taxes, my corporation taxes. Um, I feel very much part of society. You know what I mean? I'm not some. I'm not Amazon. Which you know what I mean? I'm not someone. Uh, Reg uh, uh, Reese Moss this morning. 110 million uh, profit and not a penny shared with the British Exchequer for nurses, doctors, policemen, or the military. You know what I mean? I mean that's not society, guys. You know what I mean? I think if you're going to do something, you have to understand the bigger picture. The bigger picture is kind of looking after the things you, you, you like, you know, which is, I like the countryside. Uh, I, I, I like planting things. I like planting trees. I think it's wonderful. I never sit under any of them. But someone planted them in the 1700s that we sit under now, you know. So, you know, I think we just, we have to take a much longer term view of our place on this planet and the little things we should do to it. And it's not putting kind of, you know, farming effluent into the local rivers and polluting the lakes. Uh, you know, so uh, farming has to play their part, uh, you know, putting fertilizers over fertilizing and over, you know, uh, uh, excess kind of, you know, the slurry onto land at bad times of the year with massive runoffs. And, you know, the, the soil can only absorb so much uh, damage from the human, from us, you know what I mean? You plough it, you rotivate it, uh, you, you, sorry, you plough it, you harrow it, you, you know, you rotivate it. Constant, constant murdering, uh, that lovely top 12 to 9 inches, you know. Uh, 
until it becomes so compacted, you know what I mean? You can't even, it won't even absorb any nutrients. So, you know, a healthy soil, you know what I mean? You have to understand the ground, the soil, the terroir, the French always talk about the terroir. We think it's a lovely pretentious word where vineyards talk about it, but it's not. The tower, it's, it's the ground, it's the soil, you know what I mean? The healthy, the healthy, the healthy environment, so many, so many worms per meter of soil, you know, all of that, all of it, you know, you have to, you know, in Ireland, you know, in our operation in Ireland, you know, we, we banned black bags there. It was quite interesting. Black bags, my God. We love plastic in kitchens, cling film, you name it, we have it. We banned black bags and we compost, hot, we hot compost everything. I got a company called Reapin there, basically down in Cornwall, right. to co- come over to Ireland, set me up these two big hot composting operations, huge from that wall to there, huge operation. And getting everyone into this, getting everyone to break up everything in the kitchen, ding, ding, separation of everything. And you know what I'm really surprised about? The amount of polystyrene and plastics that come into houses, including your own house, and, and you can imagine that multiplied by, by so much into uh, uh, professional working kitchens and, and uh, hotels and restaurants and houses and estates. The amount of polystyrene, plastics, cardboard. Cardboard is cardboard the big one. Is, is, is. You get a box. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, we, we, we crush our glass. We bail our cardboard. We had a company to take the cardboard away up to last year. And then all of a sudden, the, the price fell away and no one wanted to touch it. You understand? Yeah. It's always like a commodity. They want it when there's money in it. No one wants to take it away when there's nothing in it. But the hot composting has been my greatest success. You're, you're big on all that stuff, though, aren't you? Well, no, 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 I'm not. I'm learning on the way through the whole time. Let's, I'm not putting myself up. I'm a guardian angel. I'm, 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 willing to, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to move in the right direction always and look at the best possible scenario. And I'm not putting signs outside my door saying I'm, I'm, I love the countryside and I love organics. I just think it's pathetic, I have to tell you. It becomes a bit of a mission statement for so many people. And, you know... It's 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 different. It's deeper than that. I, I just think we have to we have to be careful of of you know because you know we still get into a, a diesel taxi and take a trip around the corner. So there goes whatever good you've done yesterday. You know what I mean. So I think it's important that we all do our little bit, and I try to do my little bit. But I've been absolutely amazed by the success of the composting operation. And being a farmer, I'm always thinking. I wonder if I could have multiplied this by. <laughs> hundred million times <laughs> yeah, and create gas from it and, 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 and sell the compost and sell the gas to the mainstream. And that's what the farming head does to you. You're always thinking of, God, I love, I love this. God, how do you turn eco into, into profit? You know what I mean? Or, or make it a business. So there's always that going on inside your head. And if it's not going on inside anyone's head in the restaurant business, then, you know, clearly you're telling lots of fibs as well. Because mm. the restaurant business, it is a business that we all live from, that we pay lots of staff from. So, you know, it's pointless saying being in the restaurant business and, you know, it all goes horribly wrong and you're, you're out of business pretty quickly. Well, when you've had a place for as long as you've had, especially like, you need to move with the times. Yeah, the times no, will no, swallow no, you no, up. no, absolutely. And, you know, a decade is a long time in a restaurant, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's, I've, been, I've, I've done lots of different things as well. You know, I, I kind of have a, a, a lots of, lots of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at an age when I have a lots of different experience through my life. And, you know, I, I just, you know, just, you know, there's been, not, not everything is success you're ever going to do. There's no question about that. But varied experiences in, in food, you know, and you end up kind of, you know, you end up realizing one thing. You're only as good as the team around you, no matter who you are. 
and the team does change from time to time. And you'll always have someone in the team that you think, how did he get into this team? Or she? Or how did they get in? And did you employ them? Yes, I did. I am terrible at employing people. I, I live with other people. I'm a sucker for a good story. <laughs> it's, it's something that you never get taught, though, is it? It's, Especially as a chef, because you've gone in there. Yeah. Normally, you've worked with 50 people yeah. in hotels and that. And then, yeah. you know, no one goes, by the way, you have to do this to employ these people. Absolutely. Because you can choose. Everyone could do a good interview. Everyone could do a good week, Absolutely. first week. And then they go, and they turn it into frigging nightmares, don't they, after and that? As for CVs, I mean, you might as well not read them. Because, honestly. You can't be asked to read them. You've got a hundred of them. Absolutely. Well, it's not just that, but, you know, it's it's... It's the, it's the fibs that's told on them. It's, 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 you know what I mean? Really? You were there for how long? Are, are you sure? Mm. I know that chef. <laughs> and all of a sudden you just see their face drop into the floor. You know what I mean? Or I work with that guy for a year. Are you sure you it were a leap, that? Yeah. Like the you know what I mean? Oh my it's God. Like, I always you know? think, has anyone ever checked how many GCSEs I've got? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no really? Has anyone ever gone, I'm going to ring his high school. Yeah. Do you remember that laugh? The little <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did he get nine? Because I, he looks like a four. You know didn't, I mean? didn't turn up in the last year. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. Missed, I missed the maths. I slept but, in. You know, it is the food business that we're in, and it is a business I keep saying. But you know, it's you know, we have a big grow operation going on right now, uh, a very big grow operation, and kind of you know, there is chefs out there with their a raised bed in their back back garden. We we've gone field scale. Uh, I've learned a lot. We planted an orchard, and uh, I will say publicly, we had to dig it up and plant it again the following year. <laughs> Uh, so everything you can do wrong, I think I've done it. I, I'm not afraid to admit the things. I planted my orchard, right? And I call it my orchard. I'm so proud. I went to UCD in Dublin to the Heritage Collection. My gardener did, Sarah, at the time. And, and we made an error. We just planted them too deep. And of course, they were never going to prosper. And my consultant gardener came in, Daphne Shackleton, and absolutely off the Explorer family fame. And she looked at the trees and said, who planted those? Oh, Richard, get me, get me out of here right now. And that's why you need people who know what they're doing around you. You can't do everything yourself, but once you bring in the right people to help you on the way through, it's extraordinary kind of the things you learn. I, 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 things do irritate me. A little bit of uh, people who say they can do something and then opposite happens. Don't deliver. I must say, well, delivery is, is, it can be measured in many ways, you know, but even I've got half, 50% of such as said that give me at the beginning, I'm normally tolerant of something. Right. But when they get 10%, that's when I feel, hang on here. Yeah, of this course. This is not a fair exchange. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you, you kind of float around, you meet, you meet lots of people doing this and that. And honestly, here we are talking about food on, 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 amazing, amazing, amazing trees. My God. I mean, three people and we're talking about food, but you know, the, the real, the real element of everything is integrity. You know what I mean? Don't, don't, don't become somebody you're not. That's, I think that's the, the key, you know, and dealing with the public, you know, as you get older, you know, and probably everyone kind of would say this, you know, it's, you know, you can't smile for everyone and you shouldn't smile for everyone. That big fake smile that you'd be on the, that American, hour. welcome. How are you today, sir? I mean, how do you do it? No wonder, no wonder you need cash tips. <laughs> yeah. You know, 25%. You'd need it because yeah. that's the only way you're going to bloody smile. You know, so it's, you know, just working the hours, the graft and the monotony of it all as well, the repetition of the whole time, you know, it it can be, it can't just take its toll as well. So I think, yeah, you know, you surround yourself with some really fresh, 
smart young folk. And if anything, in, in the last probably 30 years, the people in our industry, they're brighter, they're smarter, they're more knowledgeable, and the future is in great hands. Never been as good. And it probably will even get better. So it's not about always the old days. You know, I think there's an awful lot of stuff going on. I think that's fascinating today, really. I saw you last year on um, Great British Menu as a judge. And when your face, when you ate Tom Brown's poor man's goose. Absolutely. I have never seen a man so happy or proud. It was very good. It was outstanding. He shouldn't have changed the recipe. He'd have have brought that to the final. He changed the recipe, I think. Uh, second time around, you know, Tom, Tom, do you know what? I, 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 I see a lot of cooks in town and uh, it's nice to see Tom. It's nice to see him do so well. It's nice to see, you know, the next generation coming and coming up. He was the first guest on this podcast. Was he really? Yeah. I like Tom. I like he's, him a He's lot. a great guy. Uh, I think he's an amazing future ahead of him. And, uh, you know, once he, once, once he keeps everything in perspective, because he's a young guy. And once you keep everything in perspective and not, not think you're too, too great, because there's a lot of life to live. You've you don't f- want to live it all in five years. You've done 30, so you've done 30 years in the 35. game. 35 years. Yeah. Was there any point, it's a bit of a weird question, but was there any point that you slipped, the integrity might have slipped a bit? Because like you came through that 90s kind yeah. of when it was the, it become the rock star job, you know, yeah. but on TV a bit and everything was going. I opened a pub in the, the 90s called Mulligan's and Crock Street and I started serving boiled ham and lentils and cabbage. So you went every, the, every, I went the complete opposite. That's what I wanted Italian. to hear. That's what I wanted to hear. I'd done the opposite. And I remember Gary Rhodes saying, I'd say this to Gary because he's an amazing guy and he's a customer of my restaurant, believe it or not, when he comes to London. Gary was in the greenhouse, you know what I mean, doing some kind of great British food and whatever. I was serving a gammon with lentils and having a few pints of Guinness after work myself. And uh, we were at timeout rest of the year. I went, I went to some. God, how do we manage that? <laughs> well, clearly, if you do something au naturel and it comes from the heart and soul, it's a nice place to hang out and everyone feels so it's this is real. This is real. No one is trying too hard, but I've always liked spoken word. I've always liked alternative music and I've always liked the whole thing about, you know, everything changes. And, you know, I think, I think we are in a changing place of kind of super kind of fine dining restaurants. You know what I mean? I think it'll all change. You know what I mean? Where, you know, it, it comes and goes, you, you, you understand. And, and, and central London probably is under a bit of pressure today when no one ever thought it'd be any, under any pressure. You know, everyone thought Mayfair is a bulletproof area. Well, it, it is, and we're still here, but it's not as bulletproof as people imagine because the restaurants do close in Mayfair all the time. And, you know, you know, I mean, I think there's an amazing chef, Anthony Demetrius, you know what I mean? I, I do. And we have to uh, talk about some great cooks out there as well. I think Anthony has left his mark in London brilliantly in two great restaurants as well. And I was, I was, I was, I was very surprised that, you know, the, uh, uh, his restaurant, you know, closed or, and, and he sold up uh, because, you know, there, there is a craftsman, you know, there is an incredible guy as well who left, who, who's left an amazing mark in food in London. But it just shows you, we all become, at the end of the day, we all become something else, you know. And, you know, all my kids are in the business. It's quite interesting. I, 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 you know, I'm a bit of a, you know, I love this kind of industry, you know. My, my, my Mr. Hospitality, I read. Is that, is that weird no, to no, know no, that? No, Mr. No, hospitality. No, 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 listen, that's, you know what, we throw good parties. But, you know, my, my eldest son is in the business, Richard. He's in Hong Kong and Belon. Just got a mission star in December. You know, Jessica is in the business. She works for Source Communications as, a, as an accounts director. 
Uh, my son has just entered hotel school. So I don't look at this as a, some part-time job. I look at this as, as, as an industry with lots of opportunities, you know what I mean, really. And uh, once you move on from the failures quickly, you know what I mean, it's fantastic. Don't hang around failures too long. <laughs> just get on the scooter and just go, God, why did I get involved here? Who put me into, uh, who asked me to be a shareholder in this? You know what I mean, really? So I, I just think it's great, you know, and I, it's great you have a little laugh and a little bit of fun. But I will do something else, you know what I mean? There's something else brewing in my head right now, and it's probably East, more East London. Okay. And it's kind of a, kind of, you know, more hackney kind of inner city Dublin kind of vibe, you know what I mean, really, uh, music-wise. You, you know just what want I mean, to save and, and gammon <laughs> Yeah. Simple as. Simple as. Uh, yeah, I, I, just, I just think there's lots of, lots of great creative stuff going on. And I think you must be around creatives all of the time. It's really important that you keep your mind fresh and you just don't become bogged down in just the whole business of it all. You know what Is I mean? that your motivation then? Yeah, you know, I've, I've hired last year, you know, we had a big fundamental rethink in, in, in it because, you know, your head was getting kind of wrecked and yeah, I'm, I'm a bit very much hands on everything. So, you know, we, there's a proper accounts team in, in the company and they really run the business part of things. So it allows you then to be a little bit more. Yeah, God, yeah, what, what's this and that? What you're good at, you know? Creativity. If, 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 yeah, if you start minuscule kind of management of everything, yeah, it becomes, it becomes, you become absolutely boring. Mm. So, you know, we've made some fundamental changes. You know, we brought in a wonderful Elizabeth, you know, to be our ops uh, in everything and deal with the day-to-day stuff. And, and that's fantastic because, you know, you need, you need great people, you know what I mean? You just need great people. And, you know, we do something every five years, you know what I mean? Virginia Park Lodge in Ireland was my last, last project which probably nearly I can, I can, I can say openly was, was could have, I could have called it a project far, far too far, mm. but we've got through it. There was times when I thought this is it. I don't, there isn't enough cash in the bank of England to finish this project, you know, but we got there and uh, the business came through the door and uh, thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone who supports it because there was a moment when I thought, Ooh, I think I've just over egged the pudding. This is going to be a big curdle on me. But uh, we got by that one. And the gardens are, you know, to see something, it was, it, of all the things I've done, I've, I've done, you know, Bentley's was amazing. I worked in Bentley's head chef 20, 24 years ago. So, you know, I only put it back to what it was then, you know what I mean, really. So, you know, I can't claim too much for that, really. But I, I made sure the oysters were native and there were, you know what I mean? Not, no lemons in the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Hide yeah. them bloody lemons. Yeah, the crab was boiled and picked every day. We put the bakery in downstairs, you know, which I'm really proud of, you know. So you end up at Bentley's, say, everyone gets kind of Bentley's kind of, is it a restaurant? Bentley's was always a tavern. So that you can go in and have a beer. There's two beers. There's a stout, you know, the Neuster stout or a, or a, or a, a Hackney kind of lager. So Bentley's was always a tavern where you could have a, a beer. And that's really, really fundamental to anything. And all my bars have a beer on them and always had. Now, here I am in Upper Grosvenor Street. You can come in and have a Guinness and a beer here. It really annoys me where you can only get a bloody bottle somewhere. Yeah, so all no, you no, want no, is no, a no. pint. I'm <laughs> like, I don't want a freaking bottle. I want to have a beer for more than 20 minutes. So, you know, but you can have a beer. And I think that's really important. It kind of, it's that level of hospitality. You don't need to come in and have a glass of champagne. Mm. You know what I mean, really? You can come in and have a beer. Yeah, it breaks down that level of like. Yeah, it does. And there's so it? many people come out of work and they just want a beer. Yeah. So I, I just love having a beer on draft on the bars and it's, it's kind of something we, we do 
uh, have done and always have done. And I just think it's just, it's, it sets the, it sets a tone nicely of what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, we're 10 years here in Corrigan's Mayfair, you know, 14 going on 15 years in Bentley's. Uh, it's, but Bentley's been there for a hundred years. So, you know, in, 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 you know, in, in many ways, you know, to, you know, I, I had a half a dozen oysters on, on Bentley's bar yesterday. And I sat there, you know, and I just ordered three things from the blackboard and I had a half dozen natives because I'd be finishing up soon enough. And I just thought, God, how pleasurable just to sit here on your own and just have... Do you get to do that oysters. a lot? Not a lot. No, no, no. It was, it was odd yesterday. It just happened. And, you know, it was, it was a late lunch and I just thought, this is just yum. And, you know, unfussed around with, you know what I mean? The chef not telling you about his philosophy. Just you sit there. And Elio, one of the most amazing people in the world, 72 years of age and still opening oysters. You know what I mean, really? And I hired Elio for a reason. I wanted him to pass his knowledge to the boys underneath him. And uh, Frederico underneath him, for example, you know what I mean? He, he, he used to run trays of food up and down the stairs and then make coffee. Now he's like number four in the world of opening oysters. I mean, they do have world oyster open championships, believe it or not, yeah. And of course now he's a superstar. I find it very hard to hold on to his ego, you know what I mean, really? So I, I leather him every day. You know <laughs> don't, what I mean? don't want. Just, <laughs> <laughs> do it with tools. He's the fastest oyster opener. He's the fastest in Britain. He's number one in Britain in, in the last two years. Britain and Ireland, I think. Yeah. Britain, I think. Yeah, Britain. And uh, he goes off to China then every year, off to Norway for these. Uh, it's, it's incredible. So the skill these guys learn and the knives that come back with, an oyster knife that's costing like 270 quid, you know what I mean? Just these, you know, it's, he opens it with one and then he turns it with the other. So there's a new, I mean, I haven't seen it before. There's a new kind of opening oyster. You don't need to open your own. You've got bloody them too, have you? Yeah, they cracked them. They cracked them with, the, with one part of the knife. And because there might be might be a little bit of a kind of seabed or, or a little bit of muck from the oyster on the knife, then you turn it with another knife part of the the knife, so it doesn't contaminate from the shell into the so oyster. You just got pure clean. Yeah, dirty. yeah, yeah. So you have to watch it. Good, that's an interesting knife. How much was that? Two hundred seventy quid. <laughs> I mean, I'll what? Just, I'll have a Where seven. does that come from? Norway. I mean, I, I, you're really, so everything is getting more expensive, more hipster, but there's another layer of knowledge coming in that just wasn't there even 10 years ago. And you learn from it as well. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, you yeah, learn yeah, from yeah, these guys. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You seem like the more, like, you say you're all romantic when it comes to, you know what I mean? Like romantic yeah, and kind of I mean, like really. tradition. Yeah, I, I, I think tradition is important. I mean, once you don't, nothing is set in concrete. Tradition, once there's, once the fundamentals remain the same, you know what I mean? Things can be fluid, you know, but, you know, just things set in concrete for the sake of set in concrete. I just think eating habits change. People are getting, you know, I mean, there's a big movement of vegans at the moment. You know, I had a bit of a run in with the vegan community a, a few weeks ago. How'd that end? Oh, they annoyed somebody. It, it was, I, I never got the most vile abuse came my way from the most militant anti. Uh, uh, but by the way, I didn't tell them that I had, um, you know, the most veg, best vegetable garden you could ever imagine as a guy. You know what I mean? Our, 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 our methods is, is, is above everything else. And, but I, I wasn't even going to even have that conversation yeah. with them. But it was interesting, the vileness of... of aggressiveness. Of, uh, the aggressiveness the and yeah. so a lot of... So I just love that kind of battle, I have to tell you. I, I think I call one bitter and twisted, and that set the whole world in motion. And then I thought, I better apologize because I had three glasses of wine. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean, really? And, 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 and I thought, ah, oh, listen, you're not too bad. And then you realize... Oh, what the hell was I apologizing for? You're all a bunch of lunatics, frankly. But you know what? If you are a vegan, just be a vegan. Yeah. You know, everyone's going to look after you really well. 
but you know, when you're trying to convince, you know, I do, I do, I don't like Puritans. You know what I mean? Really, I, I am a bit of a one, but I don't necessarily like them. I don't like people forcing anything down anyone else's neck. I'm, I'm, I'm a very democratic on those things. Right, you know I get what you. I mean, really. You know what I mean? I'm very democratic. You know, it's almost like watching Brexit. I have to tell you, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the perfect English coup, isn't it? Really. It's all outspoken chef. And I thought when I read that, I was like, every chef's bloody outspoken. What are you on about? Do you know what I mean? When they say, so when they say about, because obviously you, yeah, it's, it's good to have opinions. And, but yeah, they're your, great. but the thing is that you've said, always said for it, they're my opinions. Yeah, it's not like I'm, I'm trying, trying to force anyone else. You can be who you want and what, what you want, but you should listen to people with life experiences, which have lived in different places and, and seen it. But the whole vegan thing, I've had vegan food from the time I lived in Rotterdam. I used to hang out in vegan restaurants. When I, when I was in Seoul and Lindsay House, I used to go around to Harry Krishna Cafe in uh, Seoul Square. It was and cheap. It was cheap. Yeah. It, was, it was like £3.70 or something, even £2. You made a donation. And of course, I'd be slightly hung over in those days, you know what I mean? And I wanted something a little spicy and natural. I didn't want any meat. I just wanted some spicy. And I remember going into Harry Krishna and you get the metal tray, you know what I mean? And I sat there. I, re- I really thought... Now, this has taken the extreme of eating to such a, a kind of a, a Presbyterian view that it's substance uh, and with just about nourishment to keep you alive. And then you, ne- you never really see a fat Harry Christian guy running that. around. You, you know what I mean, really? You, you know what I mean, really? Struggling down Tottenham you, you Court know, Road. Down, down Compton Street, <laughs> yeah. ringing the bell. You know what I mean, really? And I, I just always feel, you know what? You know, I'm 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 a, I'm a I'm a gluttonous person, right? You know what I mean. If there was a slice of bacon or a slice of boiled gammon sitting in front of me, and it was me and you, <laughs> I've lost between me and I've you. Lost. I might stab you to get it <laughs> with that two hundred and seventy pound bloody knife. God. Well, speaking of opinions, um, what what places, what restaurants, what dishes have you had lately that's kind of blown you away? Uh, good question. Uh, I, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a restaurant in Ireland that I'm, I, I, I tweeted about it after coming out that night. I got in trouble with the vegans on the same night, by the way. <laughs> that was a very good night. Too many, God almighty, too many sherries. I went to a little restaurant in a place called, uh, Selbridge. I think it's Selbridge outside of, uh, it's in Kildare. I was going across country and a friend of mine, Sean, Sean Vaughan, said to me, I, I, there's a little restaurant here. They, they, I think the two guys used to, the boy and girl used to work in the Ledbury. I went, what? Oh, yeah, let, let, let's head in here. Monster in there. This is, this is, this is the deal. They were full. Oh. And of course I blagged it. I said, I, 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 I'll eat in the, the waiting area. <laughs> so I convinced this wonderful, wonderful couple. They were full. And I was eating in the waiting area on a low table with my friend. And we had a, we had a lovely bottle of wine. Sean was driving. So I had a, a bottle of wine. Bottle of wine. <laughs> and honestly, dish after dish just came out. And I just thought, oh, I think the future is great. I, I really, that's what I felt. The future is great. The restaurant is called Two Cooks. That's what the restaurant is called, Two Cooks. They both worked in London for years. They both opened a little place. But you know what was amazing that night? Ronnie Wood was in for dinner. He's everywhere. He gets bloody everywhere, Wood. What he? was Ronnie Wood doing in my newfound little private little place in the middle of Ireland? Did you have a crack with him? Uh, Ronnie, he went upstairs. He had a reservation. Oh. God, he bloody did. <laughs> and he was in with his uh, partner, wife, I don't really know. And uh, he had dinner. And as on the way out, 
he'd a little doggy bag on the way out or whatever. And I had to wave at him. I says, fantastic. I mean, the man is in his mid-70s, if not more, and he looks like a, a boy of 21. Just <laughs> sprightful. Just, it, he, I mean, unbelievable. And there Ronnie Wood was. And clearly, I, I, at the end of the night, I said to the, 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 one of the owners, it's Mason Girl, and I don't know her name, and I should. Uh, I said, my God, is he a regular? I said, oh, yes. At least once every two months we see Ronnie. For dinner? Oh, my God. So you never know where you're sitting in this absolutely restaurant in this little town in the middle of, you know, Kildare. And I'm going through Ireland and we said, let's stop here. And every dish we got that night, it wasn't that it was, you know, food in the right place leaves certain... And the right people. With the right right people. people. So I was eating with a very good friend. I, I I was, you know, the little selection of things that came at the, the beginning was just very cool. Very kind of shared Tom Brown, cornerstone kind <laughs> of, uh, you know, which was amazing, you know, really. And they're doing their own thing in their own environment. And that's what food is about. Yeah, It's finding that place where you feel happy at that moment with the right people, sharing with the right people. And that's what a restaurant is about. Rarely, I think, just a restaurant, you know, I think you go to a restaurant really to celebrate certain things, you know, to, I just took a phone call there this morning and, you know, someone died last year and said, listen, Rich, you know, we'd, could we have a private room for this Friday for 20 people just for drinks? And I said, yeah, I'll do the canopies. I know the chap, he was a great customer of mine, James, you know, he was involved in Glastonbury wow. and all that kind of alternative things and, you know, lived mm. an amazing life and I used to love him because he, he put on kind of, uh, he used to own the Rainbow Rooms in Finsbury Park and he put on a... Uh, um, uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers in 77 wow. that great recording it was owned by James uh, James I can't even think of his second name but he was a customer of mine for years Amazing. and you know what I mean I mean I mean someone put on Bob Marley and yeah. the Whalers in, 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 you, in, in, in this theatre you know fantastic so the stories you get from people above you yeah are just wonderful and it inspires you to try try and at least be half as half as good and the people behind you you know yeah, you have to give a shout out to people like Albert Rue and you know what I mean, really? I, I think, you know, he set, a, he set a great thing in motion for so many chefs, really. And we're not putting anyone on a, on a staple because, you know what I mean, he probably is a grumpy old fucker like us all, <laughs> really. But the fact of the matter is, you know, he, he's a great dude. He's a great guy. He was very kind to me when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And he let me come work in his restaurant, you know, the Gavroche, when I was, I think, in my 20s. And uh, the wave, the fee you'd have to pay in those years to work in the restaurant <coughs> and uh, the people in that restaurant, Mark, Mark uh, 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 Mr. Doherty was the head chef. Uh, Albert came in and said hello. And I, I thought it was they made it so friendly and so wonderful that the restaurant that was number one probably in Europe and during that period, they were so sweet and so nice and so helpful and so encouraging. So, you know, people always sets the tone for your tone. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's what we all must do. Definitely. It's great. It's great. I think on that note, we should do a little quick fire it's round quick fire. to end it. This is going to scare you. Go on. <laughs> so we're going to rattle off um, a few short questions. said I couldn't talk for hours? I, was gonna, I love it. <laughs> I love it. This is, it makes us eat it. Our job easy. Right, whatever comes in your head, spit it out. You might have a story. You might just have, you know, short answers, yeah. whatever. Top three foods you can't live without. Pork. 
lovely salads from my garden and sep mushrooms. Oh, that's a new one. That is a new yeah. One. Your favourite food guilty pleasure? A Kit Kat and a big <laughs> mug of tea. But not anymore because it has all changed. Old Kit Kats. They got smaller. They've got horrible. They've really, the the chocolate is even less chocolate. A matter of fact, they're now kind of even more sweeter than they were even 10 years ago. So honestly, I used to love a Kit Kat and a really big mug of tea. Breakfast, English Mm. breakfast tea and a Kit Kat. It was a great pick me up. And that was a guilty secret, but I have to say it has changed. And I, I, do I don't, I, yeah. yeah, but it was always a guilty secret to me. Mm. Lovely. Yeah. Right. You've probably got a few of these as all chefs do, but uh, biggest kitchen disaster. Oh, making a Christmas pudding mix as a youngster. Uh, instead of putting three ounces of almonds into something, I put three pounds of almonds into it. <laughs> I'll never live that one down, I have to tell you. I, uh, you know, I was, oh my God, I'll never live it down. Bakewell pudding. It was Bakewell Christmas pudding. I, I think we could have turned it into some class of an ice cream. God. <laughs> um, what's your three bits of kit you can't live without in the kitchen? Oh, my, my. I have a couple of knives that have been with me from the very beginning. Uh, uh, definitely a good, a good sharpening stone. Really good sharpening stone. And a good steel. Steel, a sharpening stone, my knife. That's that's it. Everything else you buy in. They're your, they're, that's your gear. Because a, a blunt knife in a chef's hand is, is really, I mean, you really want to give him a slap in the air, wouldn't you? I think it's a bit like footballers with shin yeah. pads. You know, when you hear like a yeah. footballer who's had shin pads since he was seven. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you had to eat the same meal every day, what would that meal be? Good question. Same meal every day for my God. Your rabbit on the bone. Uh, yeah, I think it would be uh, a salad from my 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 childhood garden, soft boiled egg, a runny in the middle, and sautéed rabbit on a cast iron pan. On the bone. If you could cook that meal for anybody ever, who would it be? Oh God, good question. Yeah, God, yeah, that's an interesting one. I love politics, and there's very few politicians that has really left a mark. I would, and it would have to be American, and Bobby Kennedy would have to, I would have loved to have shared a table with him and just talked on civil rights marches and the whole movement of putting the, him, you know, his brother dying and, you know, bringing that whole segregation thing in the States to a close at that time, to a certain close. I, I think fascinating, absolutely brave, brave as anything, brilliant, focused and died and assassinated far too young. Love to have shared a table with them uh, because that thing of the, the Cuban crisis and all of that whole Russian-American thing going on, Suez, you know, you could have, God, the information you could have gleaned from him. You know what I mean? Wow. You have to make seven courses. For uh, it, yeah, but make a, I mean, he probably doesn't even like food. Like most politicians, they, they can't, you know what I mean? I've got time to eat. <laughs> eat with one hand and look at the screen with another, more than likely. But no, I think it was the last of those gentle kind of gentleman politicians. And and people like, you know what I mean? I'm not too sure on, the, on you know, the British on the British front, you know, Clement Attlee and all of that, the founder of the NHS, I think it would be incredible. But he might make great 
foodie customers, you know. But I think Bobby Kennedy lived in a time of kind of the that kind of post Second World War politics with the the seventies, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of you know Vietnam, a all of that whole mm. a lot of stuff going on, big stuff, and of course little stuff in the whole civil rights movement in the states and all of that. So yeah, Bobby Kennedy has to be one I'd love to share it about. Great. Well, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Yes Chef listeners. Oh my word, Richard Corrigan, a force of nature. Mr. Hospitality. Mr. Hospitality. I don't know if he liked that. Well, he did tell me he was going to stab me if I ever went for his bacon. Um, What a guy. Thank you very much for listening. I mean, like, hopefully you enjoyed that as much as us. And he fed us. Don't tell anybody, he fed us. We had had Chef's Table. Kieran was going to go, a producer, as soon as he heard Chef's Table. Like, through a turkey. Never seen his pod boots move so fast. I know, he's running in the pod boots. Um, Listen, like, subscribe, get involved. We're having a cracking season so far. So, share with your mates. And we'll see you next week. Bon app. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.